I'm your host, David Nage. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Baselayer podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of ARCA, where David Nage is a principal. ARCA is not responsible and does not verify the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I have Sriram, the founder of Eigenlayer, with me here today. Sriram, how are you? Very good. Thank you so much, David. Really looking forward to, to this chat with you. So about a week ago, I decided to reach out to some of the larger companies and projects in the world of digital assets that have raised either Series A or Series Bs recently, because I wanted the founders there to provide a little bit of a roadmap or, or if you will, a little bit of an adventure, uh, a journey, if you will, of how they got from you know just ideas to obviously now producing projects and companies that uh, institutional investors are taking very seriously here. Eigenlayer is one of those. And so again, this is going to be a great forum for founders and for investors to learn about how companies are starting to build in the space, especially companies that are building incredibly exciting new infrastructure. So Eigenlayer, uh, very quickly, is a protocol built on Ethereum that introduces restaking, which is a new primitive in crypto economic security. We're going to talk about what restaking is. Those that are not familiar with that, obviously, that encompasses using Ethereum, staked Ethereum. Uh, We're going to go through all the different nuances, all the different pieces of that. But if you could, Sriram, what we'd like to do uh, before we get into the nuances of the actual protocol and the project itself, we'd like to just give a second to the founders to talk about their background. Now, for those that are not seeing this, you know, Sriram has spent time at Qualcomm. He has been a research intern at Microsoft. He was a grad research assistant at University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana. He has been a postdoctorate fellow at UC Berkeley, focused on research on information theoretic methods in computational biology. You're real smart. (laughs) You've done a lot of things. And so I say that with a smile on my face. I'm looking forward to learning more about this. But you've had a lot of things in your background and would love to learn just, you know, how you got to this world of digital assets, how you got to this world of, of building Eigenlayer. Oh, thank you so much, David, for the kind kind introduction to to give a, bit, a little bit of background context i did my phd back in you know masters and phd between 2006 and 11 in peer to peer wireless systems so we were trying to build wireless systems without requiring any deployed infrastructure like base stations or access points that was my phd thesis and that kind of like a uh, that area didn't pan out as we expected because what we saw was infrastructure, wireless infrastructure was deployed around the world much faster than we expected. So I moved out of uh, doing peer-to-peer wireless systems and went uh, to do a postdoc at Berkeley and uh, Stanford and after that of a professorship here at the University of Washington, Seattle, uh, focusing on computational genomics. So I was working on uh, algorithms for uh, analyzing DNA and RNA data and so on. 
then back into 2018, uh, my PhD advisor called me and uh, he uh, told me about, hey, you know, we used to work a lot on peer-to-peer systems, you know, understand throughput, latency of these kind of systems. And there is this uh, peer-to-peer system called Bitcoin. And Bitcoin, two of the major problems in Bitcoin are it has low throughput and high latency. Do you want to come work with us, try to figure out how to make it better? And I had taken a 30-year thesis on genomics that, you know, if we can decode how information is returned into the genome, you can actually do a lot of things. But this was, uh, you know, definitely aligned with my technical abilities, but not, I was not clear that this is anything beyond a speculative bubble. So I dug into it quite a bit for several months. And I think where it connected with me was this particular view that I have, which is borrowed from Yuval Noah Harari in his famous book, uh, Sapiens. Mm-hmm. And I asked, what is the, uh, yeah, right? Like it's a, a popular one. A lot of us like it. Uh, yep. And that he makes this argument of why humans have kind of taken over the planet. And he makes the case that it's because we cooperate flexibly in large numbers, cooperate flexibly in large numbers. And if you think through that, you know, uh, the friction to cooperation is trust. And if you can build systems of, co-op, you know, better trust, you're building systems of better cooperation, better mm. coordination. So I you know, had this model that basically just like internet is the information superhighway, which lets information propagate, you know, at the speed of light around the mm. world. We can build coordination superhighways, like mechanisms where many of us come together and coordinate and do things together. And if we know how the fruits of the cooperation are going to be shared, we don't need to trust, uh, you know, each other necessarily for that. This is unlocking a massive set of like opportunities for all of us. So that was kind of my driving thesis into why I got into like crypto and blockchains, in addition to my own background in peer-to-peer systems, which was a more technical reason. That's amazing. And so let's get into Eigenlayer. And then, as I said, for the founders and those that are listening out there, I wanted to, towards the top of the hour on the show, focus on how you, as someone incredibly technical, someone who has obviously done things on the precipice of DNA and RNA, someone who's been you know, incredibly focused on academia, was able to go out there and, and raise capital for something that is fairly niche, that is very technical, and you know, obviously in, in difficult markets these days. I'm we, I'm sure people will be very curious your journey on that. But let's start with Eigenlayer. So Eigenlayer is a set of smart contracts on Ethereum that allows consensus layer ETH stakers to opt in to validating new software modules built on top of the Ethereum ecosystem. Now, some of the problems you you allude to or limitations that you allude to, there are four basic downsides to the present organization of the ecosystem that is present. That is, there is a bootstrapping problem for a new AVS. Uh, You can talk about what AVS ecosystems are and what the AVS is. There's value leakage. There is the burden of capital cost, and there is lower trust modules for DApps, for, de- for decentralized applications. So let's go into it. Let's start a little bit more on kind of the 101. You know, what is restaking? 
what is the the problem that you are trying to solve? And let's go into each one of those problems kind of categorically to see if we can really, you know, illuminate why Eigenlayer has done so well so far. Oh, yeah. Thank you, uh, David. The uh, I'll start with uh, what uh, what real problem we were trying to solve. And, you know, it's it's 2018 when I got in and I look around and there are the, at the root of all of these blockchains are consensus protocols, which lets the nodes talk to each other and come to an agreement on what has actually happened, what set of events have been happened and what set of events, uh, transactions have been frozen and finalized. So this is a core feature of these blockchains, but the protocols that are needed to actually uh, coordinate have been in continuous development. So there's new ideas, new protocols, better things that can be built. But whenever you had a better idea, like when we started working on the Bitcoin thing, we had an idea for like how to build a more scalable version of Bitcoin. And as academics, we are not looking at how to do a startup or anything. We just want the community to use it. So we go give a talk and talk to different people. And then we find out that no, protocols cannot be upgraded that easily because each protocol is kind of tied with a base asset. Like if you're using Bitcoin, it's you're getting BTC rewards for mining. That's why you're mining Bitcoin. And if you change the consensus protocol, now you have to create a new asset that is underlying that particular protocol. So new protocol means new asset. This puzzled the heck out of me. As an academic, I'm like, okay, so every new protocol now needs like a new asset. In fact, this I think led to what is the PropCoin era of 2018, mm-hmm. which is a whole bunch of professors had to go and start new kind of layer ones because they had an idea for how to build a better protocol. Mm-hmm. This didn't make any sense to me because hey, you're doing a protocol. Why are you trying to create a new asset or an asset class or an ecosystem around it rather than just upgrading it? Imagine if Bitcoin was like Google, you'd go talk to Google and say, hey, here is a better like mousetrap for search or here is a better backend for your cloud. Mm-hmm. And they will just use it or buy it or rent it or something, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I couldn't find the equivalent here. So Eigenlayer is a kind of conclusion of that direction of search, which was how do we not have new distributed systems and protocols not require new assets to back them, to uh, supply security to them? So that's that's the thing. And, you know, you you alluded a little bit to things like fundraising, but I'll, I'll go into how we did it for Eigenlayer later. But I would say that because we had new consensus protocols and, and stuff back in 2018, 2019, uh, we were basically forced down the same path. We wanted to go build this thing and get or get somebody else to use it. And we found that the only way you can make that happen is to start your own whole blockchain. Mm-hmm. And so we went out on to try to do a fundraise in the absolute bad market of 2019. And found that nobody was interested. I talked to 40 people. Like this was a very strong team. Like I played, there were there was another professor from Stanford and another professor who's now at Princeton. And but you know, there was no uh, interest because they had already invested in these other blockchains. And yeah, but to me, we didn't even want to do this. We just wanted this to get used. 
So that's the problem that frames the problem which we were trying to solve, which is every new idea for a consensus or an idea for what is called what we call an AVS, which is an actively validated service, which could be anything like an oracle. Because if you want an oracle input, you need a bunch of nodes which fetch data from the internet, come to agreement that that's the data, and then import it into a blockchain. If you want to build a bridge, you need a bunch of nodes which will do the same thing to come to consensus on whether tokens have been transferred from another blockchain or not. If you want to run a data storage protocol, you need a bunch of nodes to store different aspects of the data and come to agreement on whether they have stored that data or not. So essentially, any kind of like a service uh, which needs some trust, decentralized trust underpinning it, needs this same thing. And what, what was happening was every new such service created a new asset of value for that ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And the problems that you lay out uh, kind of from our white paper, I think, are essentially alluding to this. For example, the lower trust model is basically the fact that whenever you start a new asset, then your total economic security is bounded by your total token market cap, right? You know, imagine I'm a new startup and I'm starting a new data storage protocol and, you know, it's unreasonable to expect that this new tokens market cap should be anything more than let's say 50 million or something and but i need this to be very very secure in order to then provide services to other applications which may be worth billions of dollars so that's a problem so you are now dealing with the trust model is the total amount of trust that you can create is related to the economic value that is underpinning that digital asset and so this is a big mismatch Mm-hmm. Because this is not true in any non-crypto world, right? Like you can be a startup and supply services to Amazon or Google or Walmart or whatever, right? Because you're not bound by your own like startup's market cap in right. terms of how like useful your product is. So this that's one major problem. The other problem that you alluded to is capital cost, which is now that you you want people to lock up this volatile asset and stake it, right, which is how many of these services derive security. So because you want people to lock up this asset for a you know, reasonable period of time and, uh, and uh, to validate your, your system, mm-hmm. what that does is you have to now give a fraction of emissions, like maybe a 10% APR or a 20% APR, because people are taking the volatility risk on your asset. So you now doing a you have to pay off for people actually trying to do this whereas if you have used a less volatile asset which people were taking for other purposes anyway then it's actually the the cost of that capital can be lowered significantly so that's another problem right the problem is that everybody's building their own island of security right so security is uh, fragmented into small zones rather than getting aggregated into a large zone where we all share security. If you think of blockchains as like nation states, uh, this analogy we like in this space, then essentially, you know, you have alliances of nation states like NATO, which 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 share security across large, you know, uh, constellations of countries. So we would expect to see something like that, where like a lot of services share a common security pool. So again, all of these point to some of the deficiencies in the current organization of uh, provisioning security to these uh, services that mm-hmm. want decentralized trust. Right. So 
Thank you for that. That was a fantastic explanation. So there are two areas that I wanted to focus on a little bit more within the the systems that you've developed at Eigenlayer. So there's, you mentioned to it, the pulled security via restaking, and then there's more of the free market governance. So the pulled security, we've seen instances of that with, I think, Polkadot, you know, rings a bell, where the idea is that you have, you know, obviously subnets, where, you know, there's this idea of pooling, and then, you know, everyone kind of, you know, the relay chain is kind of the master node, and there's obviously all of these kind of, you know, subnets that are kind of feeding to have a pooled security uh, framework. Curious how, you know, what you think about pooled security here, and do you think you'll see a, a world where you'll see, you know, kind of growth of subnets or other extensions of Eigenlayer similar to that? And then with the free market governance, you allude to opening, having and providing an open market mechanism that allows stakers to choose which services to opt into based on their own risk and reward analysis. You know, would love to get a sense of that because governance in digital assets for the last few years has not really worked very well. We just saw an instance where one of the biggest DeFi protocols out there just had a governance call on something they've been discussing for the last two years, and there was. I think an issue with the way that it was described to those in the community and it did not pass recently. And so governance, you know, in kind of as you alluded to free market governance, would love to get your thoughts more on that. But let's start with the pooled security. You know, talk to us about kind of the mechanism there. What have you learned from past instances of those that have tried to do pooled security? And do you see any extensions there? Yeah, totally. Uh, in fact, uh, we do think of Eigenlayer as a natural conclusion of the pooled security models. So at the highest level, you look at the the simplest version of the pooled security model is Ethereum itself, right? Because before pre-Ethereum, you know, when you wanted to build any new application, you had to go find your own security. Mm-hmm. Right? By creating a general purpose virtual machine, Ethereum said, oh, anybody can just like write their applications and just deploy it on top of this common security pool. Okay, so pool security really began with Ethereum. At least that's how I, I see it. And then now the question is, at what level of programmability are you offering pool security, right? Ethereum offering pool security is at the level of, oh, as long as you can write programs which fit to this Ethereum virtual machine, the, the programming environment that Ethereum is operating under, then it's okay. But that particular virtual machine code is taken and then like spread around all these different nodes and coordinated. And as a programmer, you have no control on the coordination, the consensus mechanism, the scaling mechanism and all of that. And what we saw is things like Polkadot came up with this idea of, oh, I want to retain pool security, but I also want more programmability. Maybe mm-hmm. I don't want to use the Ethereum virtual machine. Maybe I want to use a different virtual machine. Mm-hmm. So they came up with the idea that, oh, you can create these parachains that each of the parachain can now like have a different overlay virtual machine on top of this common substrate called WebAssembly. So that, that was basically a broadening of the, uh, so you, you, you see two things which are intention. One is innovation, another is pool security. So Ethereum allowed pool security, but not that, that much programmability, let's say. Right. And on the other end, actually, was not even Polkadot, it's Cosmos, right? Cosmos started with 
complete programmability. You can pre-program mm-hmm. anything. I just give you an SDK. You just rewrite the consensus. You can rewrite everything. But then you're off in your own security island. So you can take these two as the extremal points, at least when they started. And what I see is over time, a natural convergence. What happened in Ethereum is over time, it became more flexible. For example, the layer two paradigm basically meant rollups can use new execution environments and make proof that they did the execution correctly to Ethereum. So that was an expansion of programmability within a shared security substrate. And what we uh, on the Cosmos side, what we saw is people realized that without chat security, you don't, you know, even if you have a lot of programmability, it is not enough. So they created this concept called interchain security, which is one, one zone supplying security to another zone. So essentially, we see a kind of convergence. And I think Eigenlayer is like a full convergence of all these ideas. In Eigenlayer, what happens is takers restake, which means they put their stake. And promise not only to validate the Ethereum blocks, but any other new things that they uh, voluntarily opt into. And what this means is you get kind of an emergent behavior, which is if some service is highly used, then what would happen is basically every staker would opt in and essentially you would get full shared security. But mm-hmm. there may be other services which everybody may not opt into, and you will get like a portion of that shared security. So it's a shared security that stretches according to the needs and utility of the system. So we think of like Eigenlayer as kind of like the full natural convergence of all these idea streams, which is that now you have a mechanism by which Trust can be supplied in flexible ways. There's no constraint on what programs you can write on the eigenlayer system. You can rewrite the entire consensus. You can write a whole new distributed system. You have programmability at the individual node level. Mm-hmm. So you have complete programmability. But you also can potentially have full shared security, but to the extent that people opt in. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, that's what I think leads to the second point you mentioned, which is free market governance which is how much chat security is optimal, it's kind of determined by free market. And if it happens that all the stakers opt into a certain service, you've pretty much gotten a free market upgrade to the protocol. Yep. So that's, that's the thing that we're quite uh, fascinated about because I, like you, I completely agree that the governance models uh, in this space, actually, while... They're very good for things like uh, immutability or near immutability, right? So things upgrade very slowly, mm-hmm. but they're not very good for agility, which is the rate at which new things can get built. No. So we need to, so our vision is Ethereum has this slow upgrade process, slow, steady, conservative, eventual, right? Like these are the kind of, but consensus building, uh, getting everybody involved, all of these things. On top of which, we can have the super agile layer, which is anybody can come and build any new thing today and deploy it tomorrow and have enough of a stake to get their system started. And eventually, if it reaches escape velocity, then maybe every staker opts in. And then eventually, even Ethereum can then say, oh, this was such a good feature. Let's just incorporate it eventually to Ethereum itself. Right. So I want to go through a little bit of 
nuance and technicality. And I want to make sure that people understand this because obviously, you know, I'm taking for granted that there are people who are listening here that understand, you know, what liquid, liquid staking is. And there are others that are listening and have no idea. And so, as I said, this is more of a newer phenomenon over the last, we'll call it half a year to year. You started to see some protocols like Lido pop up and others out there. And so, again, liquid restaking is a process of depositing liquid staking tokens. You know, for instance, um, something like ETH could be used into your smart contracts. Now, again, you have a digital asset. You have Ethereum. And Ethereum just changed to proof of, of moving away from proof of work to proof of stake. And so to be able to be part of the con consensus model, you are you know, obviously putting up or you're having uh, it held in a smart contract and you're earning a little bit of yield on that uh, for that. And so you're staking it to the, the blockchain. And so when you then use liquid restaking, this is the part that's newer, not the, the, the staking component, but the liquid restaking component is something that is the newer part of this over the last, as I said, last six to 12 months, give or take. And so this is where you are then in some people's minds, I want, I want to be very, I want you to, you know, talk about this. There may be some instances of kind of systemic risk in opinion, because obviously if Ethereum, you know, falls in specific, you know, in precipitous amounts or another digital asset falls in precipitous amounts, does that trigger things? I know you all have a seven day withdrawal delay that you're currently using right now. I, I would love you to opine about any concerns that people that may not be as closely connected to the newer liquid restaking protocols out there and some of this newer you know, kind of phenomena, as I alluded to, what are your opinions on any kind of systemic risk that may occur from any of this? Yeah, no, very, very important question. I think, you know, when, so, the, so to, to explain the mechanics, there are two kinds of mode in Eigenlayer. One mode is called native restaking, which is you you uh, use the Eigenlayer contract as a kind of intermediate step in your withdrawal process from uh, when you when you stake in Ethereum. So you stake in Ethereum. Normally, you'd set your own wallet as the withdrawal address. Instead, when you go through uh, native restaking, you set the withdrawal address to the Eigenlayer contract. In the Eigenlayer contracts, you set the withdrawal address to yourself. There's just a one step in the middle of the withdrawal flow. And this allows the eigenlayer contract to potentially apply negative incentives when you're withdrawing your thing if you didn't behave correctly. Okay, so now uh, coming, there's another like version of restaking we have called liquid restaking, which is you can take a liquid staking token, like could be a Lido stake teeth or a rocket pool eat or some other liquid staking token, and then deposit that into eigenlayer as a token of value. And you know, you have law for some amount of time before uh, you can withdraw, like the one week, one week withdrawal that David pointed to. So a question here is whether there is any kind of systemic risk. And usually, I think the heuristic to keep in mind is uh, when you accrue leverage, you're starting to take additional risk, systemic risk. And I want to point out that the way Eigenlayer is designed is particularly for doing validation tasks. And validation tasks are, I think, of a different nature than financial primitives. I just want to spend a minute explaining that. 
imagine you opt into eigenlayer and then opt into 10 new tasks that you're actually providing services for and you may lose your 32 ETH if you misbehaved in any one of these tasks but whether you misbehave or not is entirely under your control as a staker and a validator so i would say that a lot of the risk in restaking is endogenous it's specific to the person doing it and it's under their control whereas if you took any kind of a financial risk you used your stake b to go borrow something in a lending protocol or whatever other kinds of things then you're essentially underwriting a price risk because if you took a 10x margin position then if the market moves by 10%, the market price moves by 10%, then you may lose your position. The risk is completely exogenous to the, to the agent. Like you have no control on the market price. Right. So I think validation is a new category of like a way to generate yield. And I want to point out that decentralized trust is the defining feature of this entire like digital asset or the crypto ecosystem and uh, validation is a way for contributing to this decentralized trust so i think the yield that accrues out of decentralized trust is completely new and unique to the crypto ecosystem as opposed to other kinds of financial primitives which also exist in other systems just with more transparency in the crypto ecosystem so i think you know all things considered of participating in things like, you know, a, a decentralized trust marketplace like Eigenlayer has different sets of risks than the sort of risks that we're normally used to thinking about, which is things like leverage, things like price moves a lot. But of course, there's people could go and build a liquid staking derivative on top of Eigenlayer. And then you may take that liquid staking derivative and then go and take a leverage position and all these things. And as you do it, you will, you will have to consider what the consequences of that are but i yep. would say that that's still like outside the scope of what we are designing our stuff that was great thank you for that as i said you know as we're wrapping up with Sri ram i wanted you again you know back as I, if i'm looking at my notes this was roughly around uh february of this year you and your team were able to raise a fairly significant significant series a uh, from some of you know the great uh, investors out there like Blockchain Capital and others out there, Electric. And so, as we talked about at the onset, you know, we wanted to provide a little bit of a a view for those that are you know currently building right now. Maybe they came from academia, maybe they didn't. Maybe they were engineers at another tech company. Maybe they're just starting out. How was it? What was the process for you? Now, obviously, I know those teams, I know those investors, but for you, as someone who came from more of an academic background, how was it for you trying to raise, you know, this company and this round uh, in this market right now, when many are, you know, not having as much success? Yeah. No. Thank you for that question. I think the uh, my experience has been shaped significantly by my previous experiences, which, for example, I mentioned that we were trying to do a new protocol, a new chain, mm -hmm. like sometimes back. And, you know, we went to 40 investors and all of them kind of rejected us. But there was a lot to be learned from each of those interactions because many of the questions were, okay, you can do 100,000 transactions per second, let's say. Now, like, what are the applications? How are you going to onboard them? Well, what's your developer lifecycle? 
all these questions for which I had no answers at that time, mm-hmm. but they informed my own thinking over time. So as, as we started thinking through this project uh, two years back, we said, let's don't, let's not just start with, you know, some piece of technology, which we think we can build. Let's start with what the uh, market really needs. What is the usage? Where are people struggling? And so we started with that kind of a viewpoint. In fact, what we did was the way the company started was I said, okay, if uh, I'm not going to wait. Initially, I didn't have anybody putting any money in. So I said, I'm not going to wait for other people to put money in because if I believe in my idea, I should do it myself. Mm -hmm. So I, I put in my own money and started this thing. And only when pretty much my money ran out, we raised the seed round with Polychain and Ethereal Ventures and Coinbase and others. But the the, the thing is focusing directly on what builders, you know, in our case, our customers are builders, right? People building mm-hmm. new protocols and such. Understanding the customer deeply helped a lot in raising these rounds because pretty much the rounds came together as a consequence of us capturing like mindshare and interest from our customers rather than trying to figure out how what metrics investors may look at. So I think that was a kind of shift in mind from my own previous experience mm-hmm. to this new experience is focus insistently on what our customers really want, what are their real issues, and try to address it by taking the smallest step possible, talking to them frequently and yep. understanding them. So I think that that helped a lot. Of course, in the process, uh, there's always uh, things to be learned. But we were lucky that we had to do the, we did the fundraise at the time when we didn't really need to do a fundraise. Mm-hmm. So that helps, helped us a lot. So this is basically preparing in advance rather than waiting till the last moment. Yep. So, yeah, that's great. Well, I hope the founders who are also listening to the show, listen to that, uh, know your market, know your customers, do that uh, insanely well and uh, just keep at it. And don't let any first time or any type of failure kind of stop you. And uh, you got to have that hunger that Sri Ram has definitely exhibited here. So Sri Ram, thank you so much. It's a great conversation about Eigenlayer and about uh, your path and your journey. We appreciate it. Hopefully have you back on again. Thank you so much, David. I really enjoyed it and look forward to doing it again. Thanks for listening in to Baselayer. If you like the show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage. And let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets.